This podcast is brought to you by The Province. listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. It is UFC 205 Fight Week. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite, taping this on Monday evening, November 7th, joined by my partner in crime on the Punch Drunk Predictions, Patrick Shiviklinski. Dude, we're finally here. Like, it feels like it has been so many years in the making to get to this point. And now that it's finally here, now that Saturday night is fight night, I'm still not at that, like, crazy point of it can't get here quick enough. But I'm getting close. What about you? It's surreal, man. Like, right before we started recording this podcast, I just watched the first UFC Embedded. And just watching that and seeing, you know, Connor and Eddie and Joanna and Carolina and Tyron and, and, and Wonderboy, you know, it was just all kind of surreal to see that we're at that point. We're at the week. It's going down on Saturday. I mean, I, I'm, I'm at, you know, at that point where I'm just getting really excited seeing all the buildup for this fight. Um, I mean, for this entire card, which is stacked from top to bottom. Um, you know, it, it can't get here soon enough. I'm, I'm pumped up. Yeah. I think it'll start setting in for me probably Wednesday. Um, as they start doing some of the media stuff, as they start, you know, some of the content starts coming out of New York when these guys and guys and gals start getting into action and, and everybody that's on the ground there starts ramping things up. We are getting started nice and early here because it is a crazy week. Because there is a lot of content to put out, we're actually going to do a couple podcasts this week. So Patrick and I are here this evening to look at the preliminary card from Saturday for Saturday's event. I will be joined by UFC commentator and friend of the show, John Gooden, later in the week to look at the main card of the show. And then depending on where we're at, Patty and I may jump back in at the end of the week to do a quick prediction sort of supplement to the Punch Drunk predictions where... Remind me, who's who's winning that? Who's who's in front? I mean, uh, um, uh, my memory. You know what? It's it's been kind of uh, foggy lately, so uh, I I I couldn't tell you for the life of me, honestly. Yeah, sh- shaky memory memory syndrome over there on Vancouver Island for Patrick. I am in the lead. We will be back with those on Friday for this event. Probably a chance for him to make up a couple of couple of fights. This weekend, because it is a big card, I'm sure, and a competitive card, I'm sure we will have a couple differing picks. But speaking of that deep card, competitive card, let's get right to it. We're going to work from the bottom up. So we're starting with the starter for Saturday night, women's bantamweight action. Liz Carmouche, the history maker, returning, going to be the first person to walk into the octagon in New York. She was the first female fighter to grace the UFC cage. She will do so against 
Caitlin Chikagian, a member of that Frankie Edgar, Mark Henry, Henzo Gracie, Ricardo Almeida jersey crew that has been doing so well. It's one of those fights that for me, it's all about Chikagian. She is undefeated. This is a step up in competition. We haven't seen Liz Carmouche in a while, but we sort of know her pedigree. We know what to expect for her. And for me, I'm looking at this to see if the blonde fighter can put another victory on her resume and take another step forward. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, this is definitely a, a um, opportunity for Chikagian to really get a, uh, a win over an established UFC veteran. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, like you mentioned, a, a pioneer in Liz Carmouche. Um, you know, I think this is definitely the right step for her right now in her career. And, and it's a big stage in Madison Square Garden. You know that from the top of that card, I think that uh, arena is going to be, you know, if not completely full, pretty darn full. So there's going to be a lot of eyes on her. This is definitely, you know, uh, an interesting matchup for her. But I like it. And I think, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. Great showcase fight for Shikajian. But, you know, you can't you can't uh, be a slouch against someone with Liz Carmouche's, uh, you know, credentials. Yeah, it's going to be packed to the gills from Jump Street. There are going to be a lot of people from that Jersey area and that tri-state area in the house supporting Chikajian and the rest of that Iron Army team. Liz Carmouche has only fought twice in the last three years. She picked up a win last time out against Lauren Murphy, but that was back in April 2015. So it'll be interesting to see if Rust plays a factor. Chikajian actually beat Lauren Murphy last time out in her UFC debut. So some common opponents, if you're into that kind of thing in terms of figuring out who may get the nod. Obviously, Carmouche has the greater experience and the depth of talent that she's fought over the years. But this is a big fight for Chikajian. It's an opportunity for her to get a, get a name brand victory and take another step forward in a division that's going to be interesting to close 2017, 2016 sorry, and into 2017. Second bout on the card, middleweight contest, Rafael Sapo Natal against Tim Bosch. I know this one isn't sexy by any means, but I actually really like professional fights like this. We had a couple last weekend. We have a couple on this card, including one that we'll get to here shortly. They're not necessarily ranked guys. I'm still interested because Natal had a little bit of a run there at one point. He's kind of stumbled since. Bosch is a guy that we were ready to write off, and he came out and looked great last time out. I like fights like this, and, and for all the big fights that we have on this card, we need some of these just old-school veteran dudes that we know are going to give you a nice blue-collar effort to get things started. Yeah, I mean, th this is definitely uh, one, of those, one of those nice veteran additions to this card. Uh, like you said, Tim Bosch, um, in his last fight, against, um, you know, um, Josh Salmon, uh, you know, um, who, who passed away recently, obviously. Uh, he looked he looked very good in that fight. Um, it was a fight that, you know, a lot of people thought, you know, th this is the one that's, you know, probably going to be his fourth loss in a row, and he's probably going to be out of the UFC. But, you know, he came out and, and you know, uh, did what he does, which is, you know, finish guys in pretty devastating fashion. So, I mean, Boach is, is one of those guys who – you know, he, he always kind of struck me as kind of like a diet Dan Henderson in some ways. You know, you always have to be, you know, weary of his power. You you can't count him out of a fight because he's always going to be there. He always has, you know, that power in his hands to put you to sleep. So, 
Um, and, you know, on the other side, you have you have Natal, who you touched on, you know, had a nice run there with wins over Uriah Hall and Kevin Casey. Um, I think this is a it's a great uh, veteran kind of matchup and a nice, uh, nice addition to this card. I think it's going to surprise some people as well. Uh, we might get a bit of a slugfest if, you know, this thing uh, goes the distance. Yeah, Natal's winning streak halted by Robert Whitaker, who is on a five-fight winning streak of his own, just elevated to the main event later this month in Melbourne, Australia, against Derek Brunson with Luke Rockhold falling out of his fight with Jacare Souza. The other thing about this is that anytime Tim Bosch fights, it means we get to see the video of Tim Bosch just like throwing David Heath into the fence from his UFC debut. And anytime we get to see that redneck judo that he employs, I'm in. I like to see it. As you said, a good fight to sort of whet the appetite, set the table for everything that's coming up. That includes a really interesting and curious to me lightweight fight between Jim Miller and a debuting 155-pound version of Tiago Pitbull Alves. Now, Miller was ready to hang him up at UFC 200. His, his story has been detailed. We've talked about it with him here when he was in Vancouver on this podcast, or on, on Keyboard Kimura, I should say. Ready to pack it in. He wasn't having the results. He was feeling sluggish. Thought it was just old man syndrome. Turns out that he got Lyme disease. Got some meds into him. Started feeling better. He started picking up some wins. He's not yet ready to retire. This weekend, he welcomes Tiago Alves to the lightweight division. Alves, of course, previously a, a long-standing contender in the welterweight division. He's been out of action again for an extended period of time. His last fight was that matchup with Carlos Condit in Goiânia, Brazil in May 2015. I'm so curious to see what a lightweight version of Tiago Alves looks like. And he's not getting a free ride because Jim Miller has looked really good. Won that fight with Joe Lozon out here. Defeated Takanori Gomi at UFC 200. So this is one of those fights, like, as we as we talked about with the two before it, as we talked about when Jim Miller fought Joe Lozon out here. Professional fighters, you know what you're going to get from them. And this is the fight pass pre featured prelim. I'm starting to get excited about this card. Yeah, I mean, and, and this could probably be, you know, a main event in somewhere, you know, in like Salt Lake City or something like that. But I mean, it, it's a it's a great another great veteran fight. And like you said, I think the really interesting part of this fight for me is Alves debuting at, at lightweight. Uh, you know, this is a guy who I personally wanted to see at lightweight for a little while now. I always thought that his, you know, um, size has has kind of held him back a little bit from you know, great things in the welterweight division, as especially now when guys are getting bigger and stronger in that division. Uh, but he always held his own and was a very, you know, scrappy guy, real tough guy. Um, so to, you know, go to the lightweight division and see how he'll fare, that's really interesting to me. Obviously, he's, you know, a little bit older now. Uh, he's been in some, you know, wars in the UFC. Um, that, you know, that can be... Uh, you know, a benefit for him, and it can be a detriment for him as well. Um, going against a guy like Jim Miller, not an easy feat. Obviously, we saw him out here in Vancouver. Um, you know, he, he he looked good against Joe Lozon. You know, he, he's the he's the guy who's always going to be in the fight no matter what. I mean, you can't really take that guy out of <laughs> 
out of the fight that easily. So it'll be interesting to see how Alves fares against Miller. This is one of those fights that I'm just going to be glued to the TV and uh, hoping that uh, we get some kind of epic uh, performance from both guys. Yeah, lightweight certainly one of those divisions where there is a lot of talent to look at. A winner here isn't necessarily vaulting into the top 15 or the top 10, but definitely becomes kind of that veteran tough out that you have to look at at the bottom of the division as some younger guys try to make their way up the ladder or as some guys start slipping a little bit. Whoever wins this will be able to play that role going forward. I expect that to be... The fight that sort of sets the bar for fight of the night as the rest of the card sort of kicks off. Two veteran dudes that'll just, you know, we should get a very good fight from them on Fight Pass to close out that portion of the card. The last prelim that we want to just kind of touch on quickly, just because there's so much to dive into on this card, is a welterweight contest between Bilal Muhammad and short notice replacement Vicente Luque. With all due respect to Lyman Good, who was pulled from the card for an alleged anti-doping violation that he, of course, has said, not me, I would never do that about. I think this is a better fight. Luque is a submission fighter, but went out and picked up a a KO victory in his last appearance against Hector Urbina. And Muhammad debuted in that great fight against Alan Joban back in the summer on short notice. Lost that fight, but really held his own, made a name for himself, made people remember the name to use his nickname, then came out and got a victory, a third-round stoppage win in his sophomore appearance. I think both of these guys have maybe not top 10 potential, but the potential to be perennial players in the middle of that welterweight division, as we were talking about with the Rafael Natals and Tim Bosch and Jim Miller and Tiago Alves. And this feels like an opportunity for them to really show they belong in that class of fighter going forward. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, for, for, you know, Bilal Muhammad, I, I definitely remember that fight against Alain Joban, uh, you know, a fight of the night performance there for, for both guys. That was the one that really, you know, um, kind of made me made me a fan of his, and uh, the the fight with Montagna was another great performance from him. But you know the Joe Van fight, even though he lost, he came out and showed a lot of you know potential in that fight. And I think that we're going to see the growth and evolution of of that coming into this fight. He's not getting an easy opponent in uh, Vincente Luque, you know, who has shown improvements in his striking recently. As you said, a, a guy known more for his you know submission skills. Um, you know, his KO of Hector Urbina was pretty impressive. He collected that in, you know, just a minute pretty much into that first round. And, um, you know, I'm excited. These are two guys who, like you said, I mean, uh, you know, you, you can kind of try to predict what's going to happen with these guys in, in down the line. But I think, um, you know, both guys are still kind of young and, and will be in that middle of the pack for a little while. Who knows? They could become, you know, top top, top 10 guys potentially. I think Mohammed is, is one of those guys who I look at as having that, that potential. Uh, whether or not he realizes it will be another story. feel like this is one where we're going to disagree and I look forward to it because I love dudes like Vince, Vicente Luque who just want to go out there and snatch your neck and can also back it up with some punches if need be. 
But we will find out about that on Friday. For right now, it is the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Punch on Province Sports Radio. East Spencer Kite, Patrick Shivik-Linsky working through the preliminary portion of UFC 205, which goes down this Saturday, November 12th at MSG in NYC. Really starting to get pumped talking about this. I'm glad we're taping the show. I'm glad we're getting into it. Let's dig a little deeper here. Middleweight contest in the middle of the prelims. Speaking of guys, as you mentioned with Tiago Alves, that we all sort of looked at and said, well, maybe he could go down in weight for the duration of his career. Former light heavyweight champion Sugar Rashad Evans making his long-awaited middleweight debut against the returning Tim Kennedy in a fight that, listen, there's a bunch of fights on this card that are flying under the radar because there are three championship fights and because there's this Irish dude that commands attention at the top of the marquee. But for my money, this is the one fight that is that is under the radar that has the real potential to surprise. Because Tim Kennedy, even though he's been away for over two years now, you go back and, and two fights back on his resume is a unanimous decision win over the reigning well, middleweight champion of the world, Michael Bisping. His last fight was that weird fight against Yoel Romero, where Romero had the extra time in the corner and was soaking wet, and it ended awkwardly in the third round. This is a dude to me that if he sticks around and wants to continue fighting, which is a huge question mark, he's got some some hurdles that he wants the UFC to clear in order for him to stick around. He's a dude that can be a factor in that division going forward. And Evans right now is just a gigantic question mark for me. I can't wait to see this to get some of those answers. What about you? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, uh, going back to that win over Michael Bisbing, I was at that fight in Quebec City. I uh, got to see Bisbing and Kennedy fight live, and it was pure domination from Kennedy's end. I mean, you know, uh, his his ability to wrestle and, you know, really kind of break guys' wills, if, if you will, is, you know, second to none. And He's one of those guys who we were talking about, I think, with, you know, in that class of middleweight fighters, uh, right up there with Weidman and Rockhold and Romero, I think, for for a longer, you know, period of time there. Um, obviously, things haven't, you know, uh, gone his way. He's been out of the sport for a little bit after that Yoel Romero fight, a very controversial fight. Um, you know, what isn't when it's a Yoel Romero fight? <laughs> but um, I think that, like you said, you know Tim Kennedy is is an all, always a dangerous guy. Evans is is a question mark here. I mean, coming down to middleweight, uh, will he be the more powerful guy? I don't I don't necessarily know if that's you know the case. You know Tim Kennedy's a super strong guy, uh, great wrestling pedigree, and and you know a very tough guy to you know put away for sure. So I'm very curious to see what Evans will even look like at middleweight at this point. Um, you know, after his last, you know, fight at light heavyweight, I think it was pretty evident that he either needed to go down to try something different or, you know, um, potentially retire as much as, you know, you don't want to say that. But, um, you know, Rashad has definitely, you know, demanded respect in the sport. And I think this is a, another great fight. Like you said, another under the radar fight with so many, uh, you know, great fights on this card. And uh, I'm certainly curious to see what Rashad Evans looks like at 185 pounds. 
Yeah, that's the big question for me. This feels like a last-ditch effort for Rashad Evans, sort of a, all right, let's finally do this. Let's see if this is going to give me new life. He's 37 years old. He's been around the block. His last fight, as you mentioned, knocked out in the first round violently by Glover Teixeira. I was at the fight before that in Houston, Texas, against Ryan Bader, where he was coming back off almost two years on the shelf. He has a ton of stuff that he could do outside of the cage. He's been an analyst on FS1 a number of times. He's very good at that. I wonder if this is sort of a last-ditch grasp at keeping the career going. He's looked good in the video, a little bit of video that we've seen. A little bit unrecognizable because obviously going from being a light heavyweight to being a middleweight, you got to drop some some mass to get down and make the 85-pound limit. But the hand speed is still there. That's always been a plus for Rashad. The wrestling is there. We know that in terms of pedigree, at least. But Tim Kennedy is that dude that, look, he he didn't get over the, the hump during his strike force days, losing to Jacare Souza, losing to Luke Rockhold, both of those in championship fights. We mentioned the Romero fight. Those are the only losses in recent memory for Tim Kennedy, who sort of fought early in his career in fits and starts because, oh yeah, he's an active army ranger, one of the baddest dudes on the planet, quite legitimately. And so you kind of forget about how good Tim Kennedy is at times. You mentioned that fight you were at in Quebec City. I still feel bad that you went to that show because it was dreadful. But you got to see up close and personal that Tim Kennedy is an absolute beast of a human being. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is a fight where he comes back, makes a statement, and then kind of looks at the UFC and says, okay, well, I've beaten your champion. I just did this. If you want me back, these are the terms because I don't necessarily need to be here. He said he wants more money or he wants a title shot next. It took New York, it took Rashad Evans, a former champion, to get him back this time around. If he gets a victory, the UFC is going to have to come to the table with a pretty substantial offer to get this guy back in the cage. And as much as middleweight is deep and getting deeper, Tim Kennedy, to me, is not the kind of guy that you let just slip away especially if he goes out and looks good on saturday night yeah no i agree with that and uh you know uh tim kennedy definitely uh could be a, another great addition to that middleweight division that you know when he was fighting actively he was in a, you know one of the guys in that division like i said that you know you definitely always had to look out for always fighting with the top 185 pounders and it'll be interesting to see what he looks like after some time off. It, like you said, if he comes in there and scorches Rashad, then that'll be very interesting to see. And I kind of like how he's done things kind of his own way. He's come back at UFC 205 and said, you know, came out for this opportunity. This is a you know great opportunity to fight in Madison Square Garden, but you're not going to get Tim Kennedy to fight in, you know, uh, wherever, you know, uh, in Utah or something like that. Tim, you know? Listen, stop going back to Utah. Tim Kennedy is not not headlining in Hidalgo, Texas, or a fight night in his hometown of Austin or his place of residence in Austin, Texas right now. He is a guy that understands his value and understands where the UFC is at business-wise, organizationally, um, profit-wise, company-wise. And so... As you said, he's not a dude that you're going to be like, okay, so why don't you fight the winner of Rafael Natal and Tim Bosch in Austin, Texas, or Portland, Oregon, or wherever. 
big fights, big opportunities. Or Utah, no, or, <laughs> or Utah because you seem to be fixated on Utah this evening. <laughs> Lovely place, Utah, from what I hear from my man, Court McGee. Shout out to the crusher who posted a very funny 17-year-old Court McGee flashback photo on Facebook tonight. Go check that out if you are just surfing the web. As you listen to this edition of the Keyboard Kimura Podcast on Province Sports Radio, ESK, Patrick Shivik-Linsky, UFC 205 preliminary card talk. I'm taking a breath here and I'm getting myself set because this is one that I'm really looking forward to. This is one that has a ton of stakes. This is one with a dude that I think you, me, and everybody else that follows this sport is eager to see back in the cage, eager to see what he can do, eager to see what maybe comes next for him. It is the mysterious, the undefeated Khabib Nurmagomedov taking on Michael Johnson, who is coming off a terrific performance against Dustin Poirier in the aforementioned Hidalgo, Texas. Tony Ferguson set the bar on Saturday night by going out and having a great win against former champion Rafael Dos Anjos. Pretty close fight through three. El Kukui goes out and wins it for me and for everybody that scored the fight cage side in those final two rounds. I think he missed an opportunity to state his case or at least sort of take a shot at Khabib going into it and say, okay, it's your turn by just saying, thanks everybody and I'm out. I'm now so excited to see what Khabib can do because to me, if this dude goes out and picks up a 24th consecutive victory, gets that marquee win that we've sort of held out that he needs to get after being sidelined by injuries for a number of years and getting a good but not great win over the completely unheralded Daryl Horcher, I think he gets on the mic and is like, all right, Connor, Eddie, I'm waiting, and just pulls out his hat, sits in the front row, and jumps in the cage to challenge the winner on the spot. I cannot wait. The eagle is always worth seeing. Tell me your thoughts on this fight. Yeah, I mean, when this was announced just, uh, you know, randomly at that press conference uh, leading up uh, to UFC 205, uh, Dana White just said, oh, and we got Habib and Michael Johnson. Right, Dana Dana White just threw this one on there like, oh, by the way. (laughs) Which... You know, this is a phenomenal fight. Um, You know, such an exciting lightweight matchup. Like you said, I mean, Johnson's coming off that victory uh, over Dustin Poirier where he looked, you know, really great. You know, his striking was sharp and and clean and and against a guy who is a very dangerous striker in his own right in in Dustin Poirier. Um, But he's going up against a friggin' monster here, let's be honest. I mean, you know, as, as good as Michael Johnson is, I think he's going to have a lot of trouble with, you know, uh, with a healthy Habib coming in there. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with this fight because I think the story for me will be, you know, if Habib can come in there and, you know, really put on a dominant performance. That's what he really needs to do here is put on a clinic, I think, against Michael Johnson if he really wants to get that lightweight title shot, because now obviously you have Ferguson in there who, you know, coming off, you know, uh, it was a, you know, a close fight, but definitely I I think in my eyes, a unanimous decision for uh, Tony Ferguson against Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, But in, you know, in a lot of people's eyes, when they look at that and they just see, you know, both guys having, you know, kind of close battles on their resume, it, Habib has a close fight against Johnson, say, on Saturday. 
then Ferguson kind of looks like uh, the more impressive guy in my eyes because he's got that, you know, win over the former lightweight champion, whereas Habib would have a win over a very good lightweight, but, but not, you know, a championship pedigree guy. So I think what needs to happen for Habib is he needs to go out and really dominate in a major way, try to get that finish, um, do what he needs to do to really solidify himself. And, you know, in all honesty, I mean, the uh, it, it would seem that stylistically the UFC would probably want Ferguson to fight, you know, someone like a Connor or or Alvarez, um, you know, so so we'll see what happens. I mean, there's a lot of variables in play here. I, I think that, you know, like I said, I think that the most important thing Habib needs to do is go out and really put an exclamation point on this victory. It can't be a, you know, a victory where he comes out there and, you know, kind of looks, you know, a little gas and a little tired at points in the fight. He needs to come in there, have a super great performance from top to bottom, whether that's a finish or whether that's just a incredibly dominant decision. It needs to be without a doubt that this is the next guy. I want to get back to the point you made about the UFC preferring one over the other in a minute. To me, obviously, this comes down and I know it sounds simplistic, but it all comes down to Michael Johnson's ability to maintain space and defend the takedown. If he can sprawl and keep Khabib off him, he has a chance because his hands are quick, his hands are clean, his hands are powerful. As he has shown, he has the edge in the striking department, as far as I'm concerned. That doesn't matter if Khabib is suplexing you all over the cage, as he did to Michael Johnson's teammate Abel Trujillo several years ago, setting the record for, I think it's 22 successful takedowns in a single three-round fight. This is one of those fights you mentioned that Jim Miller and, and Tiago Alves could headline a fight night. This is one of those fights that, for me, it feels like a bit of a waste to put it on this card because this should be a five-round fight. It is a title eliminator in a sense in that we have two top six, I believe, or top five contenders with Michael Johnson and Khabib. And I would like to see it over 25 minutes as opposed to 15 because there is that possibility for somebody to get up 2-0 and then kind of tire and, and hold on. But I do think it's going to be entertaining regardless. Now, you said you think the UFC would prefer Tony Ferguson. Social media after that Ferguson fight on Saturday night, a bunch of people were sort of talking about what case could Khabib make for being the number one contender if he goes out and gets a win. And my response then, as it is now, is if he maintains that zero, if he pushes it to 24, and he's able to say, look, I beat Dos Anjos before he got to the title. I was supposed to be that guy. I'm that guy that everybody's been avoiding. I'm the guy that the UFC used to get these two in the main event together. I don't think they have much of a choice. And I also think it works in Khabib's favor that Tony Ferguson has said, as he told me, the week prior to his fight in Mexico City, that he's happy to continue just taking out contenders. Khabib needs to use that to his advantage if he goes out and gets that victory on Saturday night and say, look, that guy said he was willing to wait. He didn't make his case. I'm here. I want the winner of this main event, and I'm not doing anything until I get that title fight that I should have had two years ago if I was healthy. And I think the UFC is going to go that way because ultimately, I think that's what the people want. And I think that's a bigger fight regardless of who wins the main event. 
than any fight with Tony Ferguson, who, listen, entertaining as hell, continues to put on really outstanding performances, but doesn't have that same charisma, that same pull, that same allure as Khabib does. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, I think it all, it all for me, it goes back to just how dominant will this performance be. If he, if he can do... You know, if he can come in there and, like you said, you know, suplex the hell out of Michael Johnson and just, you know, make his night completely miserable, so bad that he doesn't want to go to New York ever again, um, I think that, you know, that's definitely going to go a long long way in solidifying him as the guy, you know. Uh, But like I said, uh, if if he does come out there and shows even, you know, some slight shakiness, if Johnson rocks him a couple times on the feet, uh, we're talking about a different situation, I think, and and Ferguson might uh, have that slight advantage in getting a fight against Conor McGregor or Eddie Alvarez. Last one on the free portion of Saturday's fight card, a terrific featherweight contest between former lightweight champion and perennial contender Frankie the Answer Edgar against who the fuck is that guy, Jeremy <laughs> Stevens? Is that his new nickname? That is, I mean, every <laughs> little heathen is dead. He is just he is just that guy from now on. And, and as as Patrick Wyman of Bleacher Report shouted out during that press conference, the best burn wasn't the who the fuck is that guy. It was the nice when Jeremy Stevens threw out, oh, you leprechaun. Just right in, right in rhythm. There was no hesitation. Connor just, oh, yeah, nice, and keeps rolling. I actually feel bad for Frankie Edgar right now. Um, I think this is a great fight. I think Frankie Edgar wins this fight. I think skill-wise, pedigree-wise, everything lines up for Frankie Edgar to be the victor in this one. He is the better fighter overall, just in terms of you look at their resumes. Yes, Jeremy Stevens is a tough, dangerous kid with good power, but I think Frankie Edgar goes out, picks up a dis- picks up a decision win, because Jeremy Stevens is tough to put away, and they've only got three rounds. But I feel bad for the answer because he's one of those guys that has gotten absolutely screwed over by the Conor McGregor freelancing situation. In not knowing what Conor was going to do for a year, Frankie Edgar went from potentially fighting for the featherweight title to having to face Jose Aldo again, who is still one of the greatest of all time and a dude that has only lost once in 10 years and missed out on that opportunity and is now kind of relegated to perennial silver medalist standing in the featherweight division. So my question to you from that is how important is it for Frankie Edgar to go out here on Saturday night, close to home, close to Tom's River, and get one of those kind of signature Frankie Edgar performances like he had following the first Jose Aldo loss where he went on that tear and reminded us, okay, this dude is legit. I want to see him fight Aldo again. I want to see him fight Conor McGregor as Conor was coming up so that he doesn't become, you know, I hate to say this because I'm friends with the dude and I love him, a Joseph Benavidez type or a John Dodson type or even a Claudia Gadelia type where they're just relegated to not going to get back into the title picture, even though they are truly elite fighters. Yeah, th- this definitely, you know, is a fight where there is a lot on, on the line in terms of, you know, what we can expect from Frankie Edgar, you know, moving forward at this point in his career. You know, 
um, as you said, coming off that first Jose Aldo loss, he went on that tear where a lot of people were like, okay, this, you know, this is the guy who we thought he was, and we need to see him in another title fight. Um, so I think he's in he's in kind of a similar position right now, coming off that loss to Aldo. I think it's very clear that he's a cut above most, you know, featherweights and lightweights for that matter. Um, he's he's a special talent. Uh, fighting against Jeremy Stevens, there, there's not a lot to gain by it. But like you said, if he comes out there with a performance that you know he dominates and finishes Stevens, that can go a long way into you know getting people you know to forget about what happened at UFC 200 and remember what happened at 205 in New York, you know, in in kind of you know uh, Frankie's backyard, New Jersey. Um, for Jeremy Stevens, I think it's also you know an opportunity for him to kind of come out and be a bit of a spoiler, which he has before in his career, you know, against Dennis Bermudez. I remember that fight at UFC 189, you know, uh, nobody, you know, was talking about Jeremy Stevens really coming into that fight. Bermudez was a guy who was, you know, doing very well at the time and flying me and, <laughs> and that was it for Bermudez in that fight. Uh, then he did, you know, uh, he had a great outing in his last fight against Henan Burrell. Obviously, Henan Burrell on a little bit of, you know, a down downhill spiral in his career. But still, this is a guy who, who made a, a career lately by beating guys who some people, you know, don't necessarily think he should have beaten. Uh, you know, he, he might, a lot of people might not have thought that he was on that level of a Henan Burrell or even Dennis Bermudez at the time that he fought him. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what, you know, Stevens can bring to the table because he does have that power um, and he could catch Frankie with something if, if, you know, if Frankie's not careful. So this is an interesting fight. I, I still believe that, you know, it, it'll be a compelling matchup. I think Frankie has the edge here, but uh, I wouldn't count Jeremy Stevens out with yeah, I don't think anybody counts Jeremy Stevens out, as we said, obviously has that power, has that knockout ability. Um, as you mentioned, that Dennis Bermuda's fight, I was there, still remember that on the spot, just jump into the air, flying knee to the dome, lights out, we're done, see you later. I do think Frankie Edgar is a cut above, he's one of those guys that is is just stuck where there's two fighters in the division that are better than him. The thing for me with Edgar going into this fight Similar to your thoughts on Khabib, that it needs to be a dominant performance. I think he needs to put the Aldo fight behind him, put title pictures and all of that stuff aside, and go out, deliver a strong showing, because who knows what's going to happen in that main event between Conor McGregor and Eddie Alvarez. If Conor fails in his bid to catch capture the lightweight title... He could be coming back to featherweight where he's going to have to defend that title. First up would be a unification bout with Jose Aldo. But after that, it's, you know, Max Holloway if he's still around, Anthony Pettis. And then Frankie Edgar can potentially get right back into the mix. So all hope is not necessarily lost because Connor could end up coming back down. If Aldo sticks around, I do think that that Aldo is the guy that is kryptonite for Frankie Edgar right now, and that leaves him on the outside looking in. But stranger things have happened, man, and, and we have no idea right now of what's going to happen with that main event. So all that Frankie Edgar can control is his performance on Saturday night. 
I think it will be a good one to close out the prelims. It's crazy that Frankie Edgar is closing out the prelims. That Khabib Nurmagomedov is fighting on the prelims against Michael Johnson. I said that I wasn't quite there. I said that I thought it was going to take until Wednesday. But screw it. I'm there. I am pumped. I am officially lit up for this card. I cannot wait. It is UFC 205 this weekend, New York City, Madison Square Garden. Three title fights, six fights on the main card on the pay-per-view. It's going to be a late night, but it is going to be a great night. Patrick and I will be back later in the week, so we will save the social media how to follow us for later. I will post them on the post when this goes live tomorrow on Keyboard Kimura. But for now, get excited, boys and girls, because it is UFC 205 Fight Week. We've got tons of coverage on the blog, tons of stuff going on at Province Sports. Chappie and I will be back on Thursday with this week's edition of Fight Talk Friday so that you don't have to worry about it on Remembrance Day and you can relax, get a little bit of extra rest because Saturday is going to be bonkers. We can't wait for it. We know you're going to enjoy it. We'll be back later in the week with more of the Keyboard Kimura podcast. Until then, be good to one another. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboard Kimura. 